Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my usual co-host, the Elizabeth Woodson. Unfortunately, our dear friend Adam Hawkins is out tonight, but we are joined by a special guest host, the Timothy Thomas, and we'll introduce him in a second. But before we get started with tonight's episode, where we're talking about sports a little bit, I'd love to ask you guys, what is your favorite sports memory? It could be personal, or it could be a, a national moment. Timothy, do you have a favorite sports memory? I'm going to go personal. It was, let's see, my fifth grade year playing peewee football, and my coach called a reverse. I was a quarterback. I heard a reverse quarterback keep. So I faked the reverse, turned the corner, ran down the field like 60 yards, scored a touchdown, tied the game up, and uh, we could have won that game if I had scored the two-point conversion, but I got crushed by this huge kid. But that was a moment of glory for me. That's awesome. But it threw off your entire NFL career not getting that two-point conversion, huh? That was it. That was it. <laughs> now, you said it like the coach didn't actually call a quarterback reverse. Was that not the play he actually called? He said that he didn't, but that's what I heard. So, Well, it worked out. You both look like geniuses. Elizabeth, how about for you? What's your favorite sports memory? Okay, mine's personal, too. Uh, it's, I think it's funny. Um, so I'm six feet tall, my dad's six foot seven. And I just, when I was a kid, I thought my obligation was to play basketball. Like, it's just like what tall people do to serve humanity. And so it was sixth grade. And I tried out for the basketball team and I was horrible. <laughs> and I was so bad. And so I remember saying to myself in the locker room, I mean, they were like, they called me names. It was all, it was a mess. Um, and I remember the locker room telling myself, I don't have to do this. And so I left and I never came back. And I went down to performing arts and that's what I did for the rest of my education. And that is freedom. That's freedom to be able to say, I don't need to do this. I can walk away anytime and I'm going to. That's great. That's what I did swim team for a year and it was very similar. I thought I was a great swimmer because I had grown up around a lot younger people swimming. I thought, man, I'm so fast. And then I swam against actual competitive swimmers. And I was like, gosh, I'm a rock in the water. It's so bad. Uh, well, tonight we're going to be talking about sports, the lack thereof in our culture right now in the midst of quarantine. And then in particular, uh, this documentary, which has become a cultural moment, The Last Dance about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Let's go. All right, Timothy, before we jump into this, can you remind our listeners who you are and maybe even a little bit about your involvement with uh, uh, writing about The Last Dance? Yeah, so again, my name is uh, Timothy Thomas, and I'm a part-time uh, writer for Christ and Pop Culture Magazine, and I'm actually doing a week-by-week uh, series, which by now it's it's concluded, um, <clears throat> but just going over each of the episodes and the docuseries, The Last Dance, which airs on uh, ESPN, um, and so that's that's been a real joy to write about. That's awesome. I know... Uh, Timothy, I assume because you're a coach and because you're riding on the last dance, you're a bit of a sports fan. Has this been difficult at all for you in the midst of quarantine, not having live sports? Um, well, Elizabeth said it uh, earlier, you know, as Christians, we 
don't really have a party left or right to fit into. So I feel a little bit awkward saying it as a former player, uh, as a former athlete and a current coach, but um, I'm not really missing sports that much. And maybe it has something to do with being able to watch the last dance every week, but um, I've, I've been perfectly fine just being content and things just been kind of quiet. And, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty old soul. So cracking open a book or writing a paper for me is just as exciting as watching a football game. Well, that's awesome. You don't have to apologize for, for that perspective. I think that's great. Elizabeth, I can assume that you have not missed or had any withdrawal experience during this. No, no withdrawal. I feel for my friends though, who don't have anything to do because they used to watch sports all the time. Well, I'll tell you, for the Griffin household, we love sports on TV because we do it together. So, like, it's a tradition this time of year on Sunday afternoons when I get home from church, typically we put on golf and I take a nap for a little bit and then wake up to see who wins. And in the fall, I'll tell you, if this lasts to the fall, if the football season is impacted, the college football or the pro football season, I will be emotionally impacted, unfortunately. But my son and I, who's now, he's eight years old, he gets geeked up for the NFL draft. I mean, he has two or three rounds deep. He has a mock draft that he's keeping track of how accurate he was. He's every day. He loves math, statistics, and football. And so he is calculating things and looking at likelihoods and percentages. He may work in Vegas one day, unfortunately, but right now, man, sports is so fun for us as a family. So I am experiencing a little bit of withdrawal. But I know that even though maybe you guys haven't experienced it personally, we have seen it as a culture. But Timothy, you let us a little bit into this. How could the absence of sports right now, how could this be a good thing for our culture right now? Yeah, so it's, um, you know, it's a good time for um, a few things. Uh, Number one, I think it's good for us to quiet our souls. Um, And so instead of constantly looking for the next game or the next match, to constantly be entertained uh, by these athletes. Uh, It's a good time for us to find other ways to connect with people or maybe even um, play our own sports um, as recreational and physical for recreational reasons and physical fitness uh, and connect with our families uh, that way. Um, But then also uh, I think that it can be a good thing uh, in the sense that, you know, I'm, coaching football in in Texas, I know for a fact that football is an idol. Um, And I know for me, I can find my identity in that um, a lot of times. And I know, you know, several coaches and players and parents who find their identity and how well they're, how well they're doing and how they're perceived by other people. So, um, you know, in just those few ways, I think that uh, the absence of sports can be a good thing. Um, uh, and then lastly, I think just being able to reflect on the moments that we've had before. And so there's been a lot of replays uh, on TV, of different uh, golfing tournaments and football games, basketball games, and to, to relive those moments. Um, because, you know, you think about how, uh, you know, each team has their moment for a few months at most, maybe after they win a championship, but then it's all about the next year. You know who's going to be the who's going to be the greatest next year? Is this going to be the greatest team of all of all time? Is this going to be the greatest player of all time? Uh, and so to put a pause on that and to be able to look back at what great things athletes and coaches have have already done, I think is a, is a really good thing. 
Yeah, I wonder, you know, if this were to really be a drawn-out quarantine, how it might long-term without sports might impact negatively some of your high school players that maybe otherwise would have got a scholarship and aren't going to have the opportunity to do that. And that, that would be really difficult. And there are an, uh, there's an ugly side of this that goes beyond just entertainment to where it goes to people's education and occupations, and, and that's hard. But honestly, I, I totally agree with you. This is such a good time to not have the TV on, to be in a home where you can get outside and be active instead of watching other people be active, where you can crack a book instead of uh, uh, getting the remote control in your hand. Elizabeth, you're, you're a person who delights to te- disciple and teach people how to get in the word. How is life without sports maybe a dream situation for, for the kind of ministry you hope people are having in their own homes? I think what I hope is that people don't just find another filler for what they were doing with sports. They just start binging on Netflix um, and watching a different TV, different, different kinds of TV that they, they capitalize on the time and just spend more time in the word, spend more time with God's people and spend more time in prayer. And so that's my hope is that people recognize I have more margin for the things of God and they press into that. Um, but I also know that people have just probably switched to Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cynical. There's no way that's true. People are just watching Friday Night Lights on repeat or something. All right. Well, let's bring it back into here and let's talk specifically about the last dance. For those who don't know, I'll have Timothy explain it here in a second. For those who don't know what the last dance is, but uh, in the midst of quarantine, I really feel like there's been two profound media uh, releases. And this is probably because I I bet there's a lot of people at studios that are chomping at the bit, wishing they had had a show ready to release. But Tiger King came out on Netflix and like uh, almost everybody in America watched it. And then ESPN had ready in the can, the last dance and they've been releasing it on Sunday nights and that's ready. And now today the announcement is that Hamilton is coming to Disney plus. And I saw people freaking out like, Oh, they're so excited. And in the midst of this, people are a little bit of hung. They're hungry to watch something and listen to something that's new. But Timothy, for those who have not seen The Last Dance, what is it? What is this Last Dance phenomenon? The Last Dance is, it it derives its title from the last season of the 1997-1998 Chicago Bulls team. Um, And that was the last time that uh, Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson, Scottie Pippen, that that dynasty would be together. But uh, it really, in large part, takes a look at Michael Jordan. Um, who is arguably one of the greatest athletes of all time. Um, Obviously, people argue if he's the greatest basketball player of all time, but uh, we'll leave that for another podcast. Uh, But it looks at um, Michael Jordan and uh, his life, you know, starting back from when he started getting – first started getting into sports, playing basketball, high school, college, uh, what it was like whenever he first got to the NBA, the lessons he had to learn, how he had to learn how to fit into a system in order for him to be on a successful uh, winning team. And also um, it takes a look at the ways that uh, he led uh, and also the ways that he was just a magnet for people in general. Uh, and we also get an inside look at, um, you know, how heavy that burden was of just being a star and uh, essentially being confined to uh, hotel rooms whenever he's on the road because he can't go out because he always has media attention, fans, 
um, things like that constantly surrounding them. Um, but then it also looks at other people like Scottie Pippen, a little bit more of his background, Dennis Rodman as well, uh, and Coach Phil Jackson. And um, But just all the different characters, like the antagonist, Derek Krause, um, in, in the show. And so all these different characters come together to, to put together a, r- a really good story. And uh, I don't even think you really have to be a, a fan of the Bulls or even Michael Jordan to just enjoy this story and kind of how it's coming together. That's excellent. Yeah, it's a 10-part series, and they're releasing two a week. And you're right. I don't think you have to be a sports fan, a Bulls fan, a Michael Jordan fan in order to really get drawn into the story of this antagonist kind of management group versus this greatest player of all time going for one last chance at a title, their second three-peat. There's a lot of tension, and it does it bounces back and forth between characters and timelines. I feel like it's really, really well done. Elizabeth is somebody that's just not as into this, maybe, as like Timothy and I are. What do you find? Is there something compelling about the Michael Jordan story, even to you? I think from the, the episodes I've watched, it's just his pursuit of greatness and excellence. It's just to a whole nother level. And so part of it is you just get the story. I remember the Bulls from that season and just hearing all that went into how they could be a successful team and how they had to train, how they had to learn to work as a team, how Michael would push them beyond their limits. It just, I think to me, as I'm watching it, I was like, I need a project. I need to be great at something. I need to do something right now. Um, But it just humanized them in a way that I hadn't known them. And so the story to me was just really fascinating, a, a different respect for basketball that maybe I didn't have before because of just the expertise it took to do what they did. And it wasn't just because Michael was gifted. He worked really, really hard with his gifting to be able to do um, as well as he did. So to me, it just was, it was fascinating in that aspect because it brought me behind the scenes in a way that I hadn't been there before. I, I don't know that there's anything I've ever wanted as much as Michael Jordan wants to win. Mm-hmm. The man, when you watch that show, he is so dedicated to being the greatest and he's confident in it. But every loss or any slight, any insult motivates this man to go to work until he can defeat you. And so eventually we know because we follow Christ and Christ is in us and we are in Christ that even Michael Jordan will age, even Michael Jordan will slow, even Michael Jordan will not win every game or every year. But the, to watch a man for whom Every loss drives him nuts. It is interesting to think about. What do I want that bad that I'm willing to put in the work it would take to defeat anything in my way? Timothy, you've spent a ton of time thinking about this, writing about this. What are kind of the themes that stick out to you from The Last Dance? Do you think, especially for a Christian audience, uh, they should find appealing or find um, beneficial? Yeah, so hard work and uh, putting his faith to work as well. So uh, like you said, I don't know if I've ever wanted anything as much in life as he dedicated to his craft and just pouring everything into that and just, you know, being compelled to win at any cost, uh, no matter what it took. And so I think, you know, from what we could pull from that is, you know, until K to want something. It's okay to go after something. And in fact, 
Um, I think that we're commanded to do that as, as Christians as well. Uh, because I think when, it, when we're too careful, um, it exhibits something different about who God is and who Jesus is. Uh, because it, we're saying that everything is on our shoulders. God is not big enough, uh, to, um, be glorified in our wins, uh, nor is he able to bear the burdens of our losses. Um, and so I think that, you know, just watching him, I'm like, all right, what am I doing in my life? I know I'm in quarantine, but there's something else that I could be doing. Like maybe I can build a new computer system. Maybe I can invent a new sport or something. Um, but just this will to want to be great. Um, and then also to take it a step uh, uh, further beyond that, to want to be great, to show who the greatest is uh, ultimately. Uh, because like you said, you know, we're all going to fade, the accolades are going to fade and things like that. You know, so what are you going to have once you've proven everybody wrong? You know, um, and I think for us, the the added benefit as believers is that, you know, we don't necessarily have to go out uh, to try to prove anybody wrong as, as much as we just have to prove how uh, glorious and, and great God is. Um, so there's a lot of different things about Michael Jordan and, and that Bulls team that we can hold in tension um, as believers, like go out and work hard. Uh, but we don't have to be toxic in, in the ways that we demand of people uh, to, to get what we want. Um, so I talk a little bit about that in some of the articles that I write, and the differences between being transactional and being transformational. Um, you know, it's not just all about what we can get from people, but how much can we change people's lives by uh, our work ethic and how we can help them be uh, better people as well. Yeah, I want to I talk about that for a second, because it is a little bit of a study in how much does the end justify the means. And there's something admirable at Michael Jordan saying, hey, we got beat by the Pistons and we don't really lift weights and they're strong and knocking us around. We should go lift weights. Let's go get strong. Let's work out and let's be tough. And then there's also an aspect of Michael Jordan where he is insulting, mean, tearing down his teammates in order, he would say, to make them great, to get them to his level, to motivate them. And so it's this, it, it's kind of a conflict in the Christian heart of is it okay to use a means of being a jerk if it's in order to do something that you would consider truly great? Elizabeth, what's the danger in Christendom of people uh, in leadership or in authority, or maybe just that have some measurable skill that's better learning from Michael Jordan? Hey, I, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to motivate people by, you know, tyrannically. What's the danger? And do we ever see that in Christianity? And I wish I would yell at people <laughs> to get them, my volunteers to show up. I wouldn't have volunteers. Uh, you know, we do see it. And we see toxic leadership. I think that that has been recently in the news, so much, so to say, for Christianity. Um, and just people, you lose yourself and you think too highly of yourself and you don't think high enough of the creator who's giving you the ability to steward people's souls. And so for me as a leader, what always weighs heavily is that how I interact with someone and how I treat them affects how what they think about God. And people don't walk away from the church because all the time, because they're mad at God, a lot of times they walk away because they've been hurt by his people. And so to know that you can impact someone, in some sense for an eternal, eternal time period, um, should weigh heavily on us. And that when we have to um, 
push aside a piece of who God calls us to be, to reach what God calls us to do, I think we've lost the point of what we're trying to do. Everything works together. And so if we are not honoring God's creation in order to redeem God's creation, we're not redeeming God's creation. I think about Galatians and when Paul talks about, oh, foolish Galatians, like if you take away any piece of the gospel, it's not the gospel at all. And we, again, pride and Christian celebrity can become really intoxicating and they're really dangerous. And God doesn't call us to that. He calls us to serve faithfully. And when anything gets in the way of that, we need to check our hearts. Amen. I think of at one end of the spectrum, you have uh, my son's second grade basketball team playing this year. And when, we, when they played and got cut tough, we kept reminding them, this is just for fun. This is just for fun. Nobody needs to get angry. Nobody needs to yell at each other. This is just for fun. Then you go to the NBA championship and you have this guy who's going to do anything it takes, including yelling at people, tearing them down, pointing out every mistake in order to do it perfectly so they can win. And if that's a spectrum and you compare that to the church, and if the church is when it addresses sin going, hey, you know what? It's not a big deal. Then we're doing people a disservice of not taking sin seriously. But if we're also offering no grace and we're just saying, look at you filthy, disgusting sinner, and look at how awful you have done, we are not tempering the seriousness of sin with the greatness of grace. And so I think the truth is somewhere there in the middle, and Michael Jordan ends up being a great metaphor for us as Christians of what it would look like to be an authoritarian who will allow no mistakes to be made. And when you start to treat people who we know we're all sinners that sin is completely unacceptable in the sense of uh, you cannot be uh, accepted anymore if you sin, then that's a problem. But I also don't want to go all the way to like, so sin is not a big deal. So therefore, be kind to everyone. And kindness means not caring about sin. But you're right, Elizabeth. We've seen several churches who the way they handle church discipline or the way a leader leads a staff or the way that they just operate is this very Michael Jordan-like, well, we're going to be very serious about this and we want to be excellent. And they'll use the word excellent to excuse a lot of sin in a leadership structure. Timothy, when you think about the lessons for a uh, church leader or for a Christian to take from Michael Jordan in particular, and you could go to any episode you want, but does any of them stick out when you think about the way that he handled the public, the way that he handled uh, gambling or the way that he handled shoe deals and sponsorships or the way he handled the pressures of what's going on or even the, the work ethic to get things done. What sticks out to you is like, man, it, I wish Christians were just a little bit more like this. Yeah. So um, think about his time playing baseball, playing double A minor league baseball. And, you know, his first 13 games, he said, you know, he, he did, did pretty well. He hit a run in, in each of those 13 games, but then other teams started to figure out his weaknesses um, and uh, he started to not do so well. And then uh, Sports Illustrated uh, came out with this cover of him missing a pitch and striking out and, uh, you know, wrote some negative things about him and didn't interview him about it. And, you know, Michael Jordan being Michael Jordan, he took it personal. Um, and then he just went out and got better and got better and got better. By the end of the season, ended up batting a two hundred two average and driving in fifty home, driving in fifty runs and stuff. Um, but one of the things that stuck out to me that he said uh, in that was, you know, it, everybody wants me to do what they want me to do, um, but that doesn't matter because my father already told me that I was doing the right thing, um, and so 
that that really stuck with me because it's like you know if I am confirmed by the by God the Father because of who Jesus Christ is and what He's done for me, um, I know that no matter what I have done, and no matter what I plan to do, and no matter what I'm doing right now, I know that I can be doing the right thing. And when I make a mistake, when I sin. I can go back to grace. I can repent of my sin and I can keep going and I can, you know, keep getting better and keep getting better at whatever it is that I'm doing, whether I'm an engineer, a teacher, uh, you know, a coach, a dentist, whatever it is that I'm doing, I can be as great as I uh, can try to be at that um, because my aim is to glorify God and to show just how good he is, how great he is. Um, you know, because I am affirmed by that. I don't need what any affirmation that the that the world has to offer. If you want to praise me, great. I'm just going to point you to the one who is most praiseworthy. Um, so that, that's probably one of the things I think stuck with me the most throughout that series. That is gold. That is so gold. If my father has approved of me and he's approved of what I'm doing, man, that is so gold. And you think about how many people had a problem with Michael Jordan being at the top of the world, top of his game and retiring and saying, I'm going to go play baseball and just be a dude who they say in the show, if he wasn't Michael Jordan, he would have been in an even lower league, but they couldn't the press couldn't handle that. And so just thinking about what it would mean if my father calls me to give up what I'm what I am uh, getting all my praise for, what I'm getting all my affirmation for, it says, no, go be a nobody. I think of um, uh, the opportunity we have to give up on the accolades or the fear of man in order to pursue what it actually looks like to pursue our Father's will. And that is a godly motivation. That's good. Elizabeth, any final thoughts from you? Anything that you think, uh, I know you've seen some of the episodes. You've, you've, you know a little bit about Michael Jordan. Is there anything you take from it that you're like, man, this is, this is good for the, for the church people? And I feel like Timothy killed it. I don't think I kicked off that. I was like, you're the priest test, man. You remember Timothy. who your father is. Timothy, when you're watching it, Timothy, are you taking are you taking notes? Are you sitting there writing as you're going? And man, that's gonna be that's I'm gonna pull that out. So I I I'll I'll watch it just to just to watch it uh on that night. It it like you say, it's an event, so I you know, we'll order some pizza, bake some cookies, and, and just sit back and watch it. And then maybe like on Monday or Tuesday, me and my wife will sit down, you know, after I'm done with my teaching duties and, and watch it again. I'll, I'll take some notes and things like that. I'm like, man, this is, this is really good stuff. That's so great. Well, for the for the Christian that's wondering, who hasn't seen it, and is wondering, uh, sometimes content-wise, we'll talk about shows like Tiger King. We talk about Tiger King. And it's, not, it's a show full of stuff that, that is offensive to the Christian sensibilities. Uh, for The Last Dance, they, they put out two versions of the show, one that's rated TV 14 that kind of bleeps out all the cuss words. And, and then there's one that's just un, unedited, just lets everything fly. And so if, you're, if you have sensitivities there, know that the show is, is trying to make itself accessible to a younger audience as well. Although I don't know that some of the themes they talk about would be appropriate for young children. It is a show, though, that is a cultural moment. That's why we talk about it on Culture Matters. And there are some things for sure that I pulled from it personally that are motivating and that are just interesting and beyond that are are Christian-wise inspiring, including the gold that Timothy mined out of there tonight for us. Thank you, Timothy, for being with us. Elizabeth and I sure appreciate your perspective and your expertise.
And I'm hoping that you're coaching football again this fall with real players in person on a field and that maybe people are there in the stands even getting to watch it happen. So thanks for joining us tonight, buddy. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode is recorded and mixed by Chris Derrett and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. And you can follow us on Instagram and support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thank you. God bless.